0: This is our final week together in this series, living the whole life the whole way. So we'll be in Matthew 22 once again. If you would turn there with me if you have your Bibles. And I hope you do. I visited the Joy class this morning, and they told me they love hearing stories about my children. I don't need much encouragement. And so I, I think I actually posted this on the social mediums this week, but I'll reiterate it to you because it was, it was funny to me and kind of sad. Uh, we had been really excited that our six-year-old uh, had been flossing a lot, his teeth, not the dance, but um, his teeth a lot lately. I thought, this is great. he's really growing up. And so I, I went to the bathroom with him to watch him floss a couple nights ago and to you know, see it in action. And his flossing involved exactly zero teeth. (laughs) But he loves how the floss tastes. Licking it. (laughs) That doesn't help your teeth, unfortunately. So we're working through that. Takes a village, you know. I need y'all's help. So just drop... In there, into, into Lewis's heart and mind and soul, as you, as you will, uh, How to Floss. Uh, we're a grace-filled community. Amen? I've experienced it. I, I sense it in you. I see it at work in you. And as Scott McKnight uh, ruminates on this passage in Matthew 22, he calls such a community a society of transformation. A society of transformation. So, my society of transformation, my fellow grace-filled community, hear these words from God's word. Verse 34 in Matthew 22. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your mind, this is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Indeed, we are a society of transformation. Have you ever heard the the saying that God loves you just the way you are? And far too much to let you stay that way. Well, this society of transformation is just that. And it begins by turning to Jesus. And it continues by following Jesus. And it is sustained by fellowship with one another. Committed to living out this very call on each of our lives and on our life as a... Grace-filled community, a society of transformation, from Matthew twenty-two. These very words of Jesus calling us to live a whole life, the whole way, with our heart. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, our affection, which comes from our heart, and with our soul, we looked at last week, which involves our devotion and all that we are and all that we have. And this morning, we will look at our mind. And the call for us to love the Lord with all our mind, which does mean our intellect. In Romans chapter 12, you can see it on the screen or you can turn there. The Apostle Paul had these words for believers in Rome, beginning in verse 1 Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. I was reminded this week that the word that Paul uses here for transformed in this passage is the same word. The gospel writers use when telling the story of the transfiguration, where Jesus was up on the mountain with his disciples and was blessed by God, was was called out by God as his son and was actually transfigured. In that moment. And Paul's using of this word, I think, alludes to it should be encouraging to us that we can actually be like Jesus. In who we are called to be as followers of Jesus. It's a mighty call. It is a high call. There is no higher call. But it is not one for you to be overwhelmed by or to not believe that you can live into because you're called to live into it. The gospel storyline is this We were created for good, we're damaged by sin. But we are saved by Jesus and we are sent together to heal, created for good, yet damaged by sin and saved by Jesus and sent together to heal. This is the story that called me to be a pastor. It's the story that that helps explain why things are the way that they are. It's a story that helped Horatio Spafford pen that beautiful song. It's a story that runs throughout the Bible and the rest of the world's history. And this is the story that explains how things ultimately will be. Created for good. Damaged by sin. Saved by Jesus. And sent together to heal. Now, loving the Lord with all of our mind... It does bolster our intellect and bolsters our ability to believe and live out and live into and live out this story. Richard Foster contends that what we study determines the kind of habits that we have formed in our lives. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at Philippians 4 together, specifically verse 8. And I'll remind you, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So, yeah, I'm asking you this morning in a very matter of fact sense to consider your life and how much you dwell on on these things. How often you dwell on these things. And I'm here to tell you that these things are found in this thing. And I'm here to encourage you to read it. Not to have it by your bed under the laundry you need to fold. Or somewhere on your bookshelf with 14 others. Do you know there are 3,700 dialects in our world that have yet to have the Bible translated into, their, into that language. 3,700. I counted this week. I have 11 different translations in my house. There are great organizations doing great work to bring the Bible to those languages that it's yet to be translated into. And I commend them to you. But this morning, I commend your Bible to you and your church and your fellowship and your community and all the ways that God is working around you, that you would be in tune with said ways, that you would be interested in what there is to learn from God. I want to encourage you with the ways Richard Foster has encouraged Many of us, three steps to take to your Bible study, to your life groups, to your time with Jesus, repetition, concentration and comprehension, repetition, concentration, comprehension. We have some incredible Bible reading groups that have popped up and are popping up where you can practice repetition, concentration and comprehension. Susan, I can't thank you enough for your work to, to help start those. I know it's not all you, but it is catching on. And it is good for us to read the Bible together. Memorization is important. It's another way to bolster your repetition, your concentration, your comprehension. I did Bible drill growing up. I was told by Miss Vicky, who taught us Bible drill, that if we ever were caught in a prison in Ecuador. Without our Bible, that I would be able to call on the word of the Lord. She was right. How about singing scripture? We have done that so faithfully this morning, Oksana. Thank you so much. And that is another way to bolster our comprehension comprehension through repetition and concentration, leading to comprehension. Paul said to Timothy... In 1st Timothy 4.13, until I come, give your attention to public reading, to exhortation and teaching. Up until about 500 years ago, there weren't Bibles available to the masses. So from, a, from the very beginning of the Hebrew people, the kings and leaders, all the way up until Gutenberg's press came about, hand copying has been important to the church. Deuteronomy 17 teaches us that kings would painstakingly write down Scripture themselves. A, they would commit it to memory as they did it. And they would have another copy to use to read publicly to God's people. And praise God that they did. Praise God that continued to be passed down. To be painstakingly written, copied, prayed over. I commend... Friendships to you that involve spending time in the word together. There are thousands of worthy podcasts, worthy of your time. Books people have written that draw us to their interpretation of Scripture, what God has taught them through Scripture. These are all important ways for us to through repetition, concentration, and comprehension, come nearer to the throne of grace, come to understand more about who God is and what God is calling us to do and who we are in light of who God is. From the very beginning, after the Hebrew people were freed from Egyptian captivity, they practiced the public reading of Scripture. Moses would read to them to remind them from where they came, who they were and the future that God had called them to. That is still true today. And all of this should result, has to result. This, this society of transformation must spend time following repetition, concentration, and comprehension in reflection. I often hear it has not, the, like, the experience hasn't actually happened fully until you tell about it. Have you heard that? I have. And in study, reflection defines the significance of what we are studying. In, in reflection, our study comes full circle. We can connect with what God is doing within us and what God is doing in the world or in the other person that we're talking to, relating to. Reflection helps us see things from God's perspective, it's so important. And I can say that, and it's important that I do, but we have to live it out. We have to encourage one another over and over again in the rhythms of this society of transformation that we will commit our ways to study, to bolstering our intellect. One of my first real crises of faith came sometime during my years in college. I was realizing that the kind of study that I was drawn to, and looking back, I see this as a part of my call into ministry and I, I just couldn't get enough of scripture. I wanted to read it all the time, put time and energy into studying it. And I began to th- and, and and so what was happening along the way of doing that is it it wasn't getting easy to understand God because the ways of God are so much bigger than ours. It's a lifelong pursuit to understand God, and I was learning more about this, and I was becoming a little bit discouraged about that. And I was thinking about the people that I grew up with. I've told you about my hometown. I loved where I grew up, but it was, it was a bunch of hardworking people. And I was spending hours in the Word and not feeling like I was getting that much smarter. <laughs> and I was discouraged. I was like, how are, how are ordinary folks going to spend enough time in the Word to understand it? Won't everybody get discouraged and just give up and quit? These are the thoughts that I had. So I began thinking about some of the obstacles to our study that there might be. And I think these apply to us here at Harpethites today. First, apathy. We can begin to wonder how this time in the Word actually affects our daily lives. Particularly if God's trying to teach us some patience and not showing us immediately the fruit of what we're learning. I pray for you all daily that apathy won't infect your study. How about fear of not being smart enough? I've dealt with that on many occasions. Or even fear to not being able to reconcile that faith that was embedded in us at possibly an early age, which may be many of our testimonies in here. This embedded faith that you come to learn from your society of transformation Praise God that that happens, but that embedded faith has to be taken at some point to a more deliberative faith where you consider what we have been taught and we make it our own. And that can be scary. And can upset things that we possibly took for granted. And we shy away from study because we don't want to deal with things being refined or even clarified. Maybe these fears hit home with you this morning. Did you know I don't know everything? You probably did. Far from it. No, you welcome the pastor who is still seeking and still studying in a way mindful that I may learn something totally new today. And I believe strongly that the Holy Spirit is actively up here with me, leading me and speaking through me. But after a few years of preaching regularly, I confess, looking back, that there are things that I would say differently. With more conviction, with less conviction, perhaps not even say at all. Indeed, I am not infallible. You aren't either. Only Jesus is. To love God with my mind, I believe, is to be humble enough to know that we don't and can't know everything. It is to lead us in a way that leads you to also expect for God to continue to teach you, to instruct you, to reveal God's ways to you. And you know what? There's no one on earth like you. You are completely and utterly unique. You are a special creation that can contribute to God's kingdom in a way that no one else can. It is vital that you love the Lord your God with all your mind. I was visiting a homiletics, a preaching class with a friend of mine at a local school. Two of us, two, two of us actually visited with him. And the exercise was for him to preach A sermon that he had prepared through his class and then ask a series of questions to us after he preached the sermon. And one of the questions, I'll never forget it, was for us to reflect on what we desire to get out of the sermon to be preached. So this speaks to you coming in here on a rainy Sunday morning, expecting to hear me or somebody else preach and what you would expect to get out of it. And the question was, he asked both of us, do you want me to lead you to think or do you want me to tell you what to think? And the guy that I was there with, I knew as well, and his response was, I want you to tell me what to think. And that was not my response. But it was interesting to me that that was his response. I, I'm not here to say that was right or wrong. I'm here to say that as I feel God calling me to walk alongside you and to lead you, I'm much more desirous of helping all of us learn how to think and to seek God, for God to continue to speak into our hearts and our lives. I look at the relationship between Timothy and Paul, and Paul sought to teach Timothy how to lead how to pastor, how to equip. We're calling new ministers here. You'll meet Jacob in a little while. Oksana a couple weeks ago. And we haven't called them, we haven't hired them to do a particular job. We have called them to walk alongside us and lead us to do the work of the church, to be the society of transformation that God has called us to be. Mike Glenn said it a couple of weeks ago in our video. The first great awakening gave the Bible back to the people 500 years ago. And the second one, which we are in right now, has given ministry to the people. We are a society of transformation that is here to equip one another to do the work of the gospel. Oksana has worked hard to be musically proficient. She spends a great deal of time working on instrumentation, her vocals. In the interview process, she explained so beautifully how she desires to continue to get better as a musician, even though she's already a great one. But we did not call her to be a musician. We called her to lead, to equip to connect with us and us with her. Her musical proficiency will provi- will serve as a conduit to something greater, this, this connection that will draw all of us closer to Jesus. A video clip made it the rounds over the past few days um, that showed a very prominent male pastor who was asked to play a word association game. It was in a large crowd and And the the moderator was talking to the, the panelists, and this particular pastor was asked to respond quickly to the word given, and the word he was given was Beth Moore. And he quickly quipped that she should go home. And I have to assume that he was suggesting that the home was the place where she should be using her gifts and nowhere else. Speaking of Beth Moore, who's Done more teaching than I probably will ever do. A lot of DVD series. Good ones. Perhaps suggesting that she was somehow damaging God's kingdom by her teaching. Not the content of the teaching as much as the messenger. So she should stop being the messenger, according to him. She should stop being the teacher. My grandfather was a fiery Preacher. He's still alive. He's still a fiery preacher. Maybe he's calmed down a little bit. And he told me one time that when people in his church would stop being this, is tr- this is a true story, by the way, I don't tell you all f- stories that aren't true, but this one's true. I promise. He said, Brandon, when people in the church that I've pastored, when they stop being productive and when they really start hurting the kingdom, this was all his opinion, by the way. I just pray for God to bring him on home. I don't know if Papa will ever hear that, but love you, Papa. I don't know that I stand with him there. I haven't started praying that prayer yet for you guys. But if I did, Beth Moore would not be on my list. When I stand before you, and encourage you to hide this word in your heart, to study it so that it sticks in your head and to reflect on it so that you through your life can edify the body in this society of transformation through your reflection. I am not primarily saying that to you men. I'm saying it to both men and women. Now, please don't interpret the remarks I'm saying as saying that to be at home is demeaning to be a homemaker is not demeaning nor is it the place that a woman should be only my mother fortified our home pouring her heart soul and mind out there And she poured her heart, soul, and mind out at school as she taught special education for 35 years. And she poured her heart, soul, and mind out in the Sunday school room as she taught fourth grade Sunday school for over 30 years. And she ironed my t-shirts, which was bizarre, but she did. And she made our food and she taxied my brothers and I around town like a taxi driver everywhere. And she loved my dad as a pastor's wife so, so well. And she served on committees and she volunteered everywhere. And she put others' lives always ahead of her own, helping anyone she encountered feel their dignity by always looking them in the eye and making sure they felt worthy of her attention because she believed that they did. My first and enduring impression of women in the church was not, the, what, not about what they could not do. Rather, it was all of the ways that I saw them following Jesus. So I was drawn to a woman who was raised in a similar fashion. Who's called to nursing and to be a mother. And not as an end in itself, but as an expression of who she is in Christ and out of her love for Jesus. She proclaims the good news of the gospel every day of her life. And I am so glad to be alongside of her as she does. And I am so glad that our daughter sees that every day and our sons and your daughters and your sons. As this society of transformation continues to bless this city and the cities around it, will they see men and women under this roof loving God with all their heart, soul, and mind and loving their neighbor's. The gospel storyline created for good, damaged by sin, saved by Jesus, sent together to heal. Will our sons and daughters see all the ways that God can call them to participate in the larger story that is God's story with all of their heart, soul and mind. This passage commands us to love first. To love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor. And the expert in the law was trying to trip Jesus up, we think, by honing in on exactly how we should live. And Jesus' response was, hey, man, love first. Love well, not with your knowledge or your certainty, but love first with your heart, soul, and mind and in the ways you love one another. Jesus and Peter interacted after Jesus' resurrection, and Peter had had a tough week. If you don't know the story, he had had the chance to testify to his relationship with Jesus before Jesus was killed, and he didn't. He denied knowing him. And so here we have in John 21, Jesus and Peter back together and hear these words. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. And a second time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything you know that i love you feed my sheep jesus said because it is love that will provide the fuel for us to seek god's kingdom first for us to live into what it is going to look like for us to be this society of transformation it is love that will provide the fuel you need to have that next gospel conversation regardless of the mood you're in because what you believe to be true about Jesus and the way you have invested your whole life, your heart, soul, mind and strength and and your love for neighbor is invested in that grand storyline of the Bible that we were created for good yet damaged by sin but that Jesus has saved us and we are sent together to heal and what we do when we leave here today matters infinitely for God's kingdom and it always will because God goes before us and is putting things all back together. That's not happening because you're doing it. That's happening regardless of whether or not you decide you're going to do it and you've been Invited to play a part in it because God is good and gracious and believes that you can. So I ask that you do. That you join a group. That you commit to gospel conversations. That you re-fall in love, if you need to, with your Bible. Pick it up off the floor, off your desk, out of that closet. And expect that God can hone your intellect in a way that can change you forever and give you joy unimaginable as you follow Jesus. Last thing I'll say about this passage, I don't think I've ever spent four weeks on nine verses, but it's been good for me, is that Jesus looked at this man who was trying to trick him, who was an expert in the law, who by the world's standards had the intellect and Jesus flipped it on him and I think what Jesus was asking him to do was to see him he wanted the expert in the law to see him he wanted the expert in the law to know him he wanted the expert in the law to love him and I think that's what Jesus is asking us today as well love me because I first loved you, with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor, as you love yourself. Let's pray.